Blog Talk Radio. Well, good morning, and welcome back to another episode of The K Factor here on Blog Talk Radio, where K equals kindness, and the factors are all the things that lead to it. Our belief here at The K Factor is that the real currency in this lifetime is not the cash that you're so eager to get hold of and put in your pocket or do whatever your designs are. But the real currency is kindness because, stop and think about it for a second, with kindness, you can really acquire whatever it is you really want as long as it's really in the name of goodness and positive intentions. Our show here is sponsored each week by Partners in Excellence where the idea is to reach for your very best. This is your host, Dr. Deb Carlin, for another episode. This work is so much fun because I have an opportunity to invite lovely, smart, kind people to step into this platform and spend an hour talking about what it is that they're passionate about. Most of the people I know before I invite them, every now and again I'll get somebody who's referred to me for an interview And the interviews are always time well spent for me and for my guests, and I hope they are for you as our listeners as well. But what's really exciting is when I get to invite somebody who I'm absolutely cuckoo nuts about because they are so spectacular and lovely, and that's the case today. So I met who is now my good friend, Leslie Strong, who is just this gorgeous woman inside and out. And we met at a at a meeting of a mutual group that we belong to where we travel across the country to meet with a pretty high level. And when I say high level, I mean people who are committed to high achieving and to having their best self step forward to create their very best life yet. We met at this mastermind meeting and just clicked and started exchanging ideas and talking about our work and just loving the time that we were sharing and we've and we've gotten together at these meetings several times and she has got a book that is so aligned with the K factor and with my book Build the Strength Within and with the theme of partners in excellence. I mean, Leslie Strong is here today as my partner in excellence as we're both trying to create our best life. So I could talk about her all day, but then it would be a diatribe and not an interview. <laughs> so I'm going to introduce my friend, Leslie Strong. Good morning, Leslie. How are you? Good morning, Deb. I'm fantastic. How are you? <laughs> well, yeah, I already know that you are, which is why I invited you on the show. Aw, you're so cute. <laughs> so you you are up in Toronto, Canada, and what's the weather like up there these days? Uh, it's a balmy minus seven degrees Celsius today. So in our world in the winter, you can actually go for a run in this weather. It's beautiful out. The sun is shining. Um, yeah, and there's a bit of snow in the ground, lots of ice, and uh, it's fabulous. Far out. It's That's winter. great. And you're, you are a winter athlete, aren't you? I am. I, lo- I, I actually, well, I love the summer, but I, I love the winter. Around here, if you don't figure out a way to love the winter, it's a very long, long six months. Yeah, right. No kidding. So don't you go snowboarding and and skiing and and like snow walking? 
snowshoeing. Yes, I do. I I snowboard, I ski, I snowshoe. Um, yeah, I do everything I can in the winter to keep myself outside and active and uh, and having fun. Yeah, that's great. When when we met, one of the things I loved about you was your energy. Just your get up and go and make it happen and walk up to people and have the conversation that you think you need to have with them. And and that really that is part of the core of your book, the you factor, isn't it? Just really pay attention and make it happen. Yeah, the you factor is really about looking inside and uh, and making making your life fabulous and realizing that you're the only one who can make it miserable or can make it wonderful. And so, you know, it's not about them. It's about you, and it's time to get on to it. So I just think, well, I want to have a really fabulous, wonderful, fulfilled, and happy life, and so how am I going to create it? What am I going to do? What do I love to do? And connecting with people is one of those things I love to do, so I just do it. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's funny in what you just said that most people don't think about, most people say or hear being said, you're the only one who can make yourself happy. But most people don't take the time to say the other part of the reality, which you stated overtly, which is you're the only one who can make yourself miserable, too. Yeah. Well, there is that is the other side of that coin, right? People often don't blame, they don't credit anybody with making them happy, but they do credit other people with making them miserable. Do you it's ever so notice how Yes, it is easier. So what right. is, tell the story of how you came up with this book, because I loved sitting in, in, in our mastermind group and hearing you talk about going for a run and yeah, coming, so, coming to this epiphany about the U-factor. Share that with our audience because I think that's a really a cool story. Well, you know, I was just at a stage in my life, um, married, kids, and uh, in my early 40s and thinking, God, like, is this all there is? I, I got the two kids. I got the dog. I got the great husband. Um, I, got, I have it all. I have a house. I, I mean, I have everything, but I was like, but I'm not happy. You know, I was told to go get this, and I got it. And I'm just thinking, you know, what's going on here? And I was really, really unhappy and unfulfilled in my life. And um, and I was thinking and thinking, and then I, you know, and I'm a, I'm a big runner. I was training for a marathon, and I was on an 18-kilometer run that day. And the entire book just came into my head of all the things I'd learned and all the things that I had um, talked about with my clients. I'm, a, I'm an executive and life coach. And so all the conversations that I had had with my clients over the years and my girlfriends and other people, and it all just came into my head. It was the most miraculous, um, it was the most miraculous day. And then I knew that it needed to be shared with the world because that just does not happen. Right. Oh, that divine intervention. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. It's like it's not really you. It's you're the vehicle and you're kind of channeling it almost, right? Yeah, and you know, being that I was in a place where I wasn't happy, I thought, well, how do I get happy? Like what are the tools to become happy? And you know, not like there was something seriously wrong. Um I wasn't clinically depressed. I didn't need drugs or anything. Like I wasn't in that state. Um I was like I was healthily un- unhappy if that makes sense. 
And so, you know, going through what are the tools, and the first one was really, wow, I have to take responsibility that I'm the one saying I'm unhappy. I'm the one who is, you know, is not having the life that I really want to have. And so how am I going to get that done? So, and that was my you know, first this brings ticket. up a really interesting point because one of the things that I think that people wait for is they wait until they're really flipped out miserable before they take a call to action. And mm-hmm. that is so unfortunate because talk about kindness, that's really being uh, mean to yourself if the element of happiness and joy is missing to wait until you're so miserable that you are clinically depressed so i i, I really applaud you for paying attention to saying look i got all this cool stuff i mean i've got all the right elements in my life but how come i'm not happy what's missing and how how can i remedy this that takes a lot of courage so well, thank what you. You're you're 100% welcome, and I thank you for doing the work that you've done. So how many tools do you have, Leslie, in your book? How many tools um, are there? I have 10 tools. Ten uh, ten, and, they're, and they either stand on their own or they can go in, um, in absolute um, sequential fashion from 1 to 10. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing, as you just said, were – you know, we're not kind. We're not being kind when we let ourselves get to that pit of despair. Um, mm-hmm. We're also not kind to other people on the way down. <laughs> Boy. And and so it really is. You know, I was not a. I was not being kind to my my kids and my husband, and I wasn't being kind not only to myself but to anybody. And so you know, the tools really when you become conscious of who you are and what it's going to take to make yourself happy, you actually become more kind out to the external world. And I know the world always says, well, look outside and, and give, and that will make you happy. Well, you can't be happy unless you give to you first. And it really, I love the kindness that you're all about because, you, you know, we're not kind enough. We're so hard on ourselves. And it oh, is. Like one I of my tools. I know. One of my tools is forgive, learn the lesson, and move on. But you have to forgive yourself. Like, be kind, forgive. We all make mistakes. We're human. How do you forgive yourself? What's your formula for that? What do you tell people? <clears throat> um, I, tell my, I tell people that, you know, you can't change the past. It is what it is. And all you have is what is right now. And so it's about taking responsibility for what has happened and that you did the best you could with the tools you had at the time. It's let it go and just move forward, be in the now, and look towards the future, you can't change the past anyway. Do you have people who resist that, who have been your clients, who they say, but I just can't let it go? Yes, I have a lot of those, and I say that those that's a, a bit of a victim mentality. They're using it as an excuse to stay where they are because it's not taking responsibility for who they want to be and where they want to go and being kind to themselves and um and and really being have the, having that personal power as soon as you have some sort of crutch an excuse use it as an excuse you you're not moving forward and you have no well, personal power you are power your name get, yeah thank you i mean you're giving power to the past you're giving power to the oh i can never forgive myself or i can never forgive other people well all you've done is handed your power to them instead of taking it back and moving forward. I mean, you know, our job in life is to be fabulous. Yeah, I believe that. 
I absolutely believe that. So <clears throat> I want people to hear about your book and to get really hooked on what the messaging is. And so what I, part of what I'd like to do is share with people what is your website where they can go and find you and learn more about you. My website is strongcoaching.com, S-T-R-O-N-G. Um, it's my last name, and it's all about strong strength and power. So it's strongcoaching.com. The book is called The You Factor, and that's Y-O-U. And you can get that book on Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, uh, um, through my website. In Canada, you can get it at the local bookstores. Um, yeah. All right, cool. So... <clears throat> To continue to encourage people, how about if we would walk through your 10 tools and talk to people about what they really mean? Because even if we don't get through all 10, I think it's going to give people a real flavor of what it is that they're going to be able to get from you. And by the way, friends, as you're listening to this, I want to tell you that when I when I met Leslie, I already felt like I was strong and in a good place. I had written Build the Strength Within. The book had been launched or was right in the process of being launched. And so I felt energized and happy. But it's an amazing thing when you decide to do a reach. And really, in Partners in Excellence, the work is all about taking the reach always to excellence and you know when you think you've arrived you reach again and you just continually are reaching about getting better with whatever it is going on in your life and the thing I loved about meeting Leslie was I felt like there was more that I was going to be able to learn in my connection with her and then you know Leslie it was really funny because when we started talking about my book and your book, there was such a lovely overlap. We were combinated from very different places in life and very different pieces of work, but there was such a nice click between the two of us. So nothing competitive and everything collaborative, you know? Uh, absolutely, and we do talk about the same things. Yeah. You know, so we can, we could have had that competitive nature but um i mean who could be competitive with you you're the you're the most wonderful giving <laughs> loving kind woman on the planet i mean you can't help but just love you and just want to be with you i'm i could never be competitive with you <laughs> hey <laughs> thank you that's a wonderful wonderful thing to hear thank you so much for that so the the forgive forget move on is powerful what what is your other really favorite of your tools if there's such a thing i you know i do have some that are that are really pinnacle um i find and um so we've already talked about accepting responsibility and that's obviously the it's the context right it's the starting uh of it all because without accepting responsibility for the good the bad the ugly the uh the past the present and the future you, you can't move anywhere so that is really step one. My, you know, one of the ones that um, I also, I, I find that we get run by our baggage and by our past. And so tool number two is called check your stories. And it really is about how, you know, we give so much power to the stories that we have created about our past. 
and we allow them to run our present and our future. But, you know, the stories are just that. They're stories. They're interpretations. They are emotions added to the facts of what happened. Um, you know, I, you know, I have a funny situation where I have two brothers, and we look back at our at our growing up, and we will all have different stories uh, based on the exact same event. Yeah, and and so right there, you know, that's what caught me about stories. I thought, wow, like we all think very differently about the exact same event, and and how is that possible? And so the stories really are stories. They're they're made up in our minds, and then we let them run us. And they're not even really true, perhaps, <laughs> <laughs> right? And we give them all this power to be true, but are they true? I don't know. It depends how you're feeling in the moment that something happened and the interpretation you gave to it. Um, yeah, I you know, love one great, that you're that. Yeah, you know, I have one story. It's funny. My um, And it, it, was, it was probably about seven or eight years ago, and my brothers and I, we were all leaving my parents' house at, uh, Christ- after Christmas dinner. And my father would always say, do up your coat, it's cold outside. And, and that was, my father was a very, kind of that gruff tone. And my oldest brother would just kind of roll his eyes, get angry, and walk out the door. My other brother would say, Dad, I'm 40 years old. You don't need to tell me what to do. I know that I should do up my coat. Have you not figured? Like, and he would go to bat with my father. And the two of them would leave really unhappy and really frustrated. And I would give my father a big hug and say, thanks for loving me, Dad. (laughs) All it is, exact same wording came out of my father's mouth. And it was about the perspective. And that's another one of my tools is why I'm saying this, because it is a story that we have, but it also turns into the perspective that we take on life. I just had a very different perspective. Yeah, and the power yeah, of that perspective that, is I leave happy and loved, not miserable and frustrated. Right, 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 exactly. And and I love that you're saying that because one of the things that I try to teach people is you can rewrite your story. All you have to do is step mm-hmm. back, and in in the case of you and your two brothers, try on one another's stories, try on one another's perspectives, and see if you can shift yours at all. So have you yeah. ever had dialogue with your brothers about how silly that is that they act that way? Oh, all the time, but they just <laughs> they just think that um you know that I'm kind of living with rose-colored glasses and and they'll say, "Oh, you just want to be the favorite child." And they'll just come up with their silly little things and I'll just say, "Well, who's leaving happy and who's leaving frustrated and angry?" Yeah, and right. who who's having a great relationship with their father and who isn't? And we yeah. you know we talk about kindness. The kindness, there's, my father and I would look at it was being kind. He was being loving. He was concerned. So they wouldn't look at that kindness. So they couldn't be grateful for how, how loving and kind he was. And he's not around anymore, right? No, he's not. So <clears throat> if we don't solve it while the person is here for us, we really kind of hamstring ourselves unless we really do what that other tool is, which is forgive, forget, yep. move on. How many people are out in the world feeling absolutely either ashamed or regretful <clears throat> or even angry because they haven't given themselves the time to recover from whatever happened in a relationship that was important 
Yeah. And it's not only death, it's separation, divorce, it's so many things. It's families who don't have relationships. You know, and it's yeah. all based, as we say, on stories and interpretations and perspectives. Um, and not going back and saying, you know, maybe there's another way to look at it. And, you know, does it matter? It does it like at the end of the day, I would always, I would say to my brothers, does it matter if he is telling you what to do? Do you not want to just be happy and have a fabulous relationship? Like how important is it? Yeah. Like where, what's the end result that you really want? You know, we could and fight about everything. Know, and, did, did, when you ask that to people, not just your brothers, but when you have clients that you ask that question to, does it put them into a tailspin, a quandary of trying to figure it out? Sometimes sometimes they look at me like I have five heads and they say, no, yeah. no, no, you don't understand. Like, no, but, like it's that no but. No, but you haven't lived my life. You don't know my husband, my spouse, my partner, my family. You don't know, right? There's a lot of that. There is a um, lot of that. Yes. What do you do with those people? Well, I just asked them what they want to have. I said, well, do you want to be miserable? Do you want to be happy? Do you want to move on and have a loving relationship with people? Or do you want to be miserable and have people in your life that you don't want to be around? I mean, I just want to know what the end result is. Mm-hmm. And so how many you... people say they really want to be miserable? Not many. <laughs> <laughs> people don't like to admit to that. Right, right. I I that's, like to that's get people. That's perfect. They don't want to admit to it. It's so true. Like they do actually want to be miserable because that's where they are getting to, but they don't want to admit that. I actually, I actually think it's funny when, when we we look at what it is that people do and just sort of turn them on their ear, and and challenge them to consider accepting the invitation to be miserable. Okay then. I think we ought to work on all the ways in which we can make sure that you get to sustain your misery because you're good at it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so let's acknowledge that and keep you there. <laughs> what? Yes. Oh, no. So I like that, and I see how those two tools tie together. So tell tell us another one. Um, another one is tool, uh, power tool number six, and it's you always have a choice. So, you know, we we get into, I mean, this comes from, there's a couple of different places where we can find this tool really, really effective. One is very simply just in our semantics. I can't. I have to. I should. I shouldn't. Um, those are all the the semantics that we use that keep us stuck and without choice. Without choice, there's no, you don't have a sense of freedom and control in your life, and you surely will not have fulfillment and happiness if you don't have that. And it's very hard to be kind and nice to yourself and to other people when you feel trapped and stuck because it, it breeds negativity, frustration, resentment. Um, but people really do live in the world like they don't have choices. You know, I can't quit my job. It's like, well, you can. You're not tied to your debt. You are not handcuffed to your desk. You can quit your job. Um, let's talk about why you, you know, what are the choices that you, you could have. And sometimes having people, I find, really look at the choice they don't want to make 
and accept that choice, it opens the, them up to being able to see so many other things. But it's, um, it's like, okay, well, I can't quit my job. Okay, well, I can quit my job, but then I won't have any money. I could stay in my job and look for another job. I could just stay in my job and suck it up and find another way to make it work. I could, and then, you know, you go through a, three or four different things that you could do, and it just provides a sense of freedom that you just don't feel as stuck. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, and without choice, we also become victims. And that victim we mindset really is so nasty. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So <clears throat> what has been the most, what has been one of the most challenging client situations that you've had that you could share with us that 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 you that you want to share that exemplifies the goodness of your work, the kindness of your work? You know, I have um I have one client who is um well, I can't say is, I'd like to say was in the past tense. Um the ultimate victim mentality. So my life is crappy because of everybody else. That's the mentality. And everything negative always happens to me. And lots of evidence for it, right? Like my my the plumbing went out in my house. My um my business partner started stealing from me. Um like but lots of evidence and so the you know the conversation would continue because there was lots of evidence to validate that life was really crappy on that side on his side and yeah. so um and so pulling a person out of that victim mentality i think is the most challenging for any of us in in the line of self self awareness self discovery self help um because it's such a righteous place to be because they always have so much evidence and it is also when we can pull them onto the other side and, and going through my power tools, he was eventually able to see different ways of, of looking at things, the assumptions he was making, um, the fact that he wasn't taking responsibility. It took a while, but once we could have him see that there was another way of thinking, like just that little mindset shift, the freedom that came from that is extraordinary, just extraordinary. Like it's a 180 whirlwind life change with a very small mindset shift. The -hmm. world shows up so differently, Mm. so differently. And it's really powerful. So when you're working with people, you're talking with them. It's a lot of dialogue that you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. And getting them to... Yeah, getting them to really think and feel. And then do you have them do specific things? Because you are so athletic and engaged. Do you prescribe for people, go out and move, run, figure out what it is that that turns you on, that ignites you, that makes you feel good, that brings you energy? Do you take people down that path? I, I I try to put people outside their comfort zones. Um, I do in my book have exercises for each power tool. Uh, but interesting you say that because my the first opening section of the book is all about what fills you up and what drains you. And as much as I don't tell people what to do, we do go over, um, we make a list. What really, really fills your heart and soul? 
Like, what do you what love do you- to do? Mm-hmm. And and then make a list, and then find mm-hmm. a way to incorporate it into every like something into your day, even if it's ten minutes. You know, for me, it's having great conversations with with people. Um, it might be having a latte or a glass of wine with a girlfriend. It might be reading a book that um, inspires me or feeds me knowledge. So I will do something for a minimum 10 to 15 minutes a day to fill myself up so that when you get to the other side of that is what drains you and you have, you know, understanding what drains you, you know how to manage the drains so that they don't become something that uh, takes all your power away. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it is it is really interesting. Me and I wonder if you've had this experience. Um, I've I've met with clients who, when I ask them, and again, overlap in our work, and we just ask it a little bit differently. I ask people, what what is it? And I like I love the the opening part of your book, um, chapter one, being how are you? I, I just yeah. I just love that it's so. It, it's so uh, friendly and open and honest and and simple. How are you? And and we ask that all the time, right? In in this yeah, in this yeah. casual way. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. Oh, by the way, so what's going on? Oh, well, you know, my car got broken. My house got <laughs> busted into. Right. Not so well, fine I'm, after all. <laughs> right. Really? I thought you said you're okay. And yeah. and so. I like that you start out with how are you because we really want people to answer the question. And one of the things that that I'll ask people is, what's your passion? What really makes your, you happy? What makes you feel good, excited, alive? And I have people sometimes who look at me with just a sad, expressionless face, and they'll say, I don't know. Oh, isn't that interesting? Oh Lord, have mercy! <clears throat> it is interesting, and if if I if I spend the time with somebody, eventually we'll get to what it is. But it mm-hmm. should not be that hard of a journey. But if you're not taking time for you, and your your book, the You Factor, is about taking the time to look at you. So, by the way, to all of our friends who are tuning into this episode, either now or from the archive file, please ask yourself, what fills you up? How are you? How are you? And yeah, know, you know, it's yeah, it's 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 scary. I went and talked to some young girls um, at a at a boarding school. And I had a 15-year-old girl say to me, I do not have time in my day to think about myself. <sighs> and I said, well, wait till you're married with three kids, honey. <laughs> wow. I said, you know, if you don't make the time now, you will never, ever, ever make the time. And, and I was just, it was shocking that even at 15, kids are not making the time for themselves to to do something that they truly enjoy in the day. Oh. And did she get it when you said that to her? I, I'm not, I mean, we had a little longer conversation than that, but that was my first response. I was, and I, I kind of, I was so shocked. I was literally shocked. And I thought, oh my God, is this what our world has come to? That at 15, these kids are so stressed and so pushed to the limits that they can't even do something they love. And uh, and I really, I stressed to all of them. I said, you know, you really need to take this on because 
it only gets worse in the sense that there's more tug at you for more things as as you get older and life becomes more complicated and you can't give to anyone else unless you give to you first. Wow. Did did she ever hear the message? Um I think she did. It was, you know, it was interesting talking about my book and the power tools and personal power to young girls. They yeah. um <clears throat> they found it quite fascinating how you know, just just how much power they give away even at that age. And they give it away for social reasons to boys, to other girls, to teachers. And and so they found it a really, um, just a really stimulating conversation, you know, of how to like, possibly stop them in their, in their tracks of the path they're on now and shift things so that they can be, you know, so they can be more more empowered in the future. I do think that both of our cultures, Canadian and American cultures, are on a path that causes me great concern, where we are not Mm -hmm. allowing our children to have just unstructured playtime, where they're having fun. It's not in a competitive environment where they have to be performing to get a trophy or a prize. It really is just a release of tension from the day. It's after school playtime where they get to feel what they love and run and jump and do whatever it is that's really kid stuff. Yeah. And interact with other people. You know, I, I have a 13-year-old and 11-year-old daughters. And now sometimes they have friends come over, but a lot of the time they're sitting on their phones communicating with their friends by via text. Mm. right and instagram and whatnot and we have a no digital rule uh during the week no digital no television and um and but it's just an interesting way that they now interact with each other and and i find when you know when you talk about kindness i'm not sure how kind one you know one is on that social media because it's just so removed yes yes Mm. people do some heartless things out there on that Mm mm-hmm so yeah. I I like that you are asking people to describe what fills them up and and what drains them of their energy and and their joy and asking them if they're stuck and then you move into the conversation about where did their power go where where is it and how is yeah. it can get it back People sometimes think that this is elusive, but this is something very tangible, isn't it? Very. Um, well, it, it looks elusive because it looks like other most people don't even know what it is, right? We don't really know that we have it or we have access to it or that we had it and we've given it away. Like We don't really know because it it is, in a sense, it's like self-esteem and confidence, right? It's It's on that... It's like the kind of the bigger concept and includes it all, uh, along with boundaries and just knowing who you are and what works for you. Um, but we don't really, it, it, it's kind of not tangible, but I'll tell you it's tangible when you don't have it. Uh-huh. When you've given it away and you're sitting having an, a, a conversation with somebody like your your partner and you can't stand up for yourself, it's really tangible that you have given your power to your to your partner. Isn't that the truth? You know, 
And I think it's kind of like where we began in this conversation when you said, you know, it, it wasn't that I didn't have in my life. I had. I had all the pieces that I had gone after. But then I had to say, well, wait a second, something's missing here. It's kind of like if you get a coffee <laughs> and somebody forgets to add the cinnamon to it, and you say, you know, it's pretty good, but you know, there's this piece that's missing. Now, what is that? And you never yeah, really you can't figure it out. Exactly. You know what? What? What's that spice? You know what's that? What's that extra thing that's there that just makes it so much better? And then when you realize, oh my gosh. Then people really start to get motivated. And and I like your third power tool, look at your belief system in personal truths. Mm-hmm. Give us a give us an example of personal truth so that people understand what you're talking about. Well, there's two types of personal truths. There's the personal truth and then there's the non-personal truth. The non-personal truth is usually the truth that runs us. And I call it a non-personal truth. It's because somebody has given it to you. It may have been a teacher who said, you're terrible in math. It may have been a parent that said, you're not really focused, you're lazy. Um, It may have been somebody who said, um, you're not really pretty, or you're overweight, or... You know, I had brothers who told me I was ugly all the time and I, you know, so you know, and siblings do this too. And and they don't always just go off. It's not like water off a duck's back a lot, but these are the non-truths that we hold as truth inside us and we live by it. And it becomes the lens that we look through. So if we don't think we're smart, everything we look through and everything other people say or the marks on our tests or something that comes out of our mouth it yells and screams, see, you're not smart, you're not smart. But is it the truth? No, it's totally not the truth. Somebody once said it. You know? I heard it. And I know you know it. Yeah. No, no, I'm saying what people are saying is I heard it. I heard it. Somebody said it. It must be true where there's there's smoke fire. <laughs> yeah. And they don't and understand also, that the smoke and the fire is in the other person, not necessarily in them. And and how many times I mean I'm sure that you do deal with this with clients all the time too is be, um and my children say it. It's well if I think it, it must be true. Mm-hmm. I'm like no. No, no, no. <laughs> that's not necessarily. So that's another truth. It's if I think this, if it comes into my head, it must be true. Right. Um well that's not the truth. Right. And right. these are the kinds of things that run us. These are the kinds of yes. things that formulate how we look at other people, how we live our lives, how we move forward or don't move forward. So a real truth about you and me, Leslie Strong, is that we want to run things. We do not want to get on us. We want to build on what we know is our inner strength and our inner yeah. power to find the best core of who we are in this life and be accountable and responsible and love that and be lit on what it yeah. is that we get with the next breath, right? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so when I, I had an interesting experience, and this is about your second power tool, about checking your story. 
When I was mm-hmm. in graduate school to become a psychologist, I, I felt like it was my responsibility to try out all different kinds of therapy that I was studying. <clears throat> Otherwise, how would I possibly know? what it was that patients were going through or what they would need unless I had personally experienced it. And so I had a really interesting experience with that. And one one therapist that I was working with, I, I had said to them, you know, I have this terrible memory. I mean, I was raised in this really loving family and I was wanted and and there were all these positives, but I but I have this memory of sitting on the stairs in the in the center hall up at the top of the stairs and I had been somehow naughty that weekend or that day somehow and I remember my mom and dad sitting downstairs with my sister and my brother and my mother was saying that they should send me away. I should go to boarding school. And it just crushed me. And I was probably nine at the time. And and I I was sitting there and I was crying because I was remembering this and and I, I hadn't really thought about it for a long time, but it came popping back up. And this therapist said to me, well, I have an assignment for you. And I said, what? I mean, how am I ever going to recover from this? And their comment to me was, you need to go back home and you need to have this conversation with your parents. Oh, no way. You mean I got to check my story? Are you kidding me? I mean, you must be in <laughs> I'm not doing that. But I did. And I I have to tell you something, I was very, very scared because I was being challenged to go back and take responsibility and be accountable for what it was that I was professing as my story. Now I want to tell you, I laid into the night talking to my mom and dad who were people, God bless their souls, they're both gone from this earth. They both sat there and said, Deb, it never happened. We never wanted that with you. Yes, there were times when you were absolutely growing up, an absolute handful. By the way, so was your sister, so was your brother. And we don't we don't know of people who grow up without incident. But we never wanted to send you away to boarding school. That was what you put into your mind when we probably said she needs to spend more time doing X, Y, or Z, but we never had that intention. And it changed my life. It changed my life because then I had to accept responsibility that that wasn't my story at all. It wasn't even a part of my story. Right. That's How many people go back and check their story, either with the reality of the source, the actual real source, if that's a possibility, or with somebody who's an accountable witness so that they can go back? Or you just go back to the person, whether it's a friend or a family member or a colleague, and you say, hey, I think that this thing happened between us. Can we talk about it? That would be checking your story, right? Absolutely. You know, and the, the other thing about my checking your story. correct or was yeah. that mis- Yeah. I Absolutely. You know, the other- would do that. Well, nobody does that, right? Because they believe their story 100%. The and the other side of that story too is is that the events may be correct, but what you say about those events and the meaning you put towards them sometimes also need to be checked. 
So, you know, I remember similar situation. I was five. My brothers told me I was adopted and it was time to go. And so I went and I packed my little suitcase. And I literally got to the end of the driveway. And uh, and my mother came and I was crying and crying. And my mother came and got me. And she said, oh, why do you believe your brothers? Don't be so silly. Well, you know... (laughs) That actually happened, but the meaning that I made of that, where everyone else thought it was funny and cute and did not have it mean anything about me that I was less of a person, I carried that around for years thinking they made fun of me. I'm not, you know, my mother wouldn't even come get me. She let me get to the end of the driveway. She must not love me. I mean, the stuff that I put on top of it all, right? Wow. And and that is what that's the part of the, some of my stories that I needed to check was the drama that I added to it, the what did it mean or what did I make it mean about me? Well, that's all my stuff. Okay, so how did you how did you get through that? <clears throat> I had to I had to completely separate the facts from the meaning. So I literally, you know, I had I, I drew this thing. I had two circles and. Um, and you know, like the v, the uh, the Venn diagram, where the two circles intersect, and I had one circle that kind of said, "Okay, what are the facts?" The facts are: my brothers told me that I was adopted. I packed a suitcase and walked to the end of the driveway, and my mother came and brought me back. Those were the mm-hmm. facts. Mm-hmm. And then I had the meaning that I put with it was that oh, they didn't love me, they let me get to the end of the driveway, which means that I'm not worthy. My mother told me I was silly, so it means that, you know, I am, you know, I made it mean all these things and I'm not smart and I'm not astute. And so I made it mean a whole lot of things. And then I pulled those two circles apart so that they no longer intersected. Mm. And I was left, and I looked at the facts and went, wow, the facts are that. They're just the facts. The other stuff, that was all mine. And I just had to take responsibility for that. I just made it all up. (laughs) I made it all up. (laughs) You know, it only impacted the 25 years of my life, but I made it up. And I'll tell you, when you you kind of look at it and you laugh and you're just going, oh, my God, I was a little drama queen. Look at me go. (laughs) I just laugh my head off because it doesn't. Well, so here's. Here's your good friend, the sensitive, ever sensitive and compassionate Dr. Deb Carlin. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? It is a painful story, but it is hilarious that we do these things. And how many people how many people are sitting and listening or who will read the transcript from this and say, Are you kidding? Do you mean to tell me that my story could actually be wrong? Yes. And oh, it more than likely is. <laughs> yeah. And that's the that's the big, huge part. Because I, I, when I stop and think about how many people, you know, it's like Carly Simon's song where she sings, and the little ones look at me like I'm a grown-up, but I've just gotten taller. I've just yeah. gotten older. And, you know, I'm still that child. I, I, still, I still feel like I'm connected to all that stuff. We need to figure out the healthy ways to see that, to grow through it. So you looked at that with five-year-old eyes and a five-year-old mind and a five-year-old heart. I did the same thing with the nine-year-old. Right. And we carried it into adulthood like it was 
yesterday and today, more than yesterday, it was still today. So did you right. did you go back and have a conversation with your mom about it ever? I just asked her if it was true. Yeah. And I and she said, Yes, absolutely it was true. She's and she just said she goes, I thought it was funny because I couldn't believe that you would believe your brother. She goes, Your brothers are jerks <laughs> You know, as a <laughs> just as a joke. <laughs> but that's because she's an adult and she could see two brothers just razzing their little sister, right? <laughs> she thought it was quite she and she thought it was funny that I would literally go get my little suitcase, like they thought it was quite comical. And and she's like, she goes, I can't believe, like, you made it mean that we didn't love you and that, you know, you weren't, you know, smart and you didn't, uh, you know, you didn't have a voice and you'd like all these things that I put on it. And she was like, oh, my God. The only, so you're the only daughter, funnier. right? Are you the yeah. only daughter? Yeah, yes, So the only girl yeah. in the family, right, being outcast would yeah. never happen. Yeah. And wow. you know, and now she well, and then she laughs because she's you know, and I when I talked to her about this, I think I was twenty five or something, and she said, "Oh my God!" She said, "What would you do now if your brother said that?" And I said, "I tell, tell them where to go." And she goes, "Exactly." <laughs> she's like, "So," she said, "You know, it's just it's different when you're an adult watching these situations, right?" Mm-hmm. So really, as I'm sitting here while we're talking, I'm looking at your book and and the whole section. The third, the third chapter in your book is how to get your power back. You're, you're talking about accepting responsibility, checking your story, looking at your belief system and your personal truths, challenging your assumptions. Holy crap! Yeah. That's, That's so big, big. Everything that we're talking about, but when you do that, when you challenge your own assumptions. How in the world, Leslie, do you motivate people to be courageous enough to trust to do that? Because that is, that's like the, that's the groundwork that everybody needs to do for their own personal life. And by the way, I think it's what we need to do in both of our countries in order to get healthy, particularly here in America challenge your assumptions because yeah. people are living in assumptions that are just way out in the Netherlands. Way outdated. Yeah. Way. Uh, off base, outdated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, the, the interesting way <clears throat> to know what your assumptions are, there's a couple of interesting ways because I think that's the hardest thing for people to say, well, what are my assumptions? Because they're so ingrained in the way we think and the way we react and act. And we don't validate whether they're true or not. We just they're just so automatic that it's hard to even know what your assumptions are. Um, and you know, when I look at it, so if, when I look at somebody who has a complaint about something, if you dial that back to the complaint, it's usually that they're complaining because they had an expectation that was unmet, and that expectation typically comes from an assumption. Yeah, and that might be a little confusing, but you know. Um, you know, I, I mean, just from a, a very simple example is uh, a, f- a girlfriend of mine many years ago was um, was had been dating her boyfriend for a couple of years. Thought, and her assumption was that, well, after two years of dating, you get engaged. And so she tormented herself for years because she kept the, her assumption was that he should propose on this. Uh, my birthday and then well not then well then it's valentine's day well not then then it's christmas but but she was running under this assumption that 
a, a specific timeline created a specific event. And she was consistently disappointed and then consistently complaining about the fact that, you know, he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do, which was propose. And, you know, you dial it back to that assumption. It's like, well, who said? Huh. Who said people are supposed to get engaged after a certain amount of time? Who said? But that was such an ingrained assumption that she made and it affected years of her life of being unhappy and disappointed, and it destroyed the relationship at the end of the gonna, day. Right, yeah. Wow. And what that's happened? like a simple one. Like you think of, as you say, with our countries, what are the assumptions about religion and economics and the way countries should go into, you know, go into the world? I mean, we are just working on such old assumptions. Here in St. Louis, Missouri, and in America, race relations. Yeah. Old assumptions, old stories. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I want I want healing. I would like for everybody in America to tune in to Dr. Deb Carlin and Leslie Strong and hear the challenge, your assumptions conversation, so that we can come together and move into power tool number five, view it from a different perspective. Yeah. That's huge. Huge. Very huge. Yeah. So when you started to view your driveway story from a different perspective, what happened? Oh, I laughed my head off. Like I thought, oh, my gosh, I I really was being silly. And I can see why I would have thought that, but it's, it's A, so irrelevant, and B, you know, it just doesn't matter anymore. Um, and which, you know, again, irrelevant, but see, I just realized in that moment, I thought how many other times have I added the drama and the meaning and the interpretation of, from my emotions onto something and I might not be right. (laughs) You know, how many times, how many other times have I done this in my life? Like what else is running me? From that simple little one where I just got to really tear it apart and just say, oh, my God, look what I've done to myself. (laughs) Like, I have created an inner voice from that, you know, one situation. I have that little inner voice talking me down, talking me down. And think how many other times, you know, God, if I did that at five, it's only been 20 more years of that. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the things, and by the way, we're down to like the last four minutes. Oh, my gosh. I could talk to you forever. I know. Likewise. So I want to leave people with a couple of things. There are more power tools that we didn't even get to talk about, and I advise people to go to Amazon.com and type in the search bar either the U Factor, which will come up, boom, for you, or go to uh, uh, Amazon and type in Leslie Strong, or go to Amazon, I mean, go to Google and type in Leslie Strong, and you'll get 875,000 results that are Leslie Strong. Amazing. The woman's got a presence. So <laughs> we need to continue the conversation so that we can teach people, Leslie, the things that you and I know about all of this and more. We didn't even get to tap into the affirming yourself and all that good stuff. So I'd really like to invite you back on, and I'd like to invite you and I to consider the idea of doing a teleseminar series so that we could teach people what we want for them to learn from both of us. 
And that would be amazing because, you know, the, the last power tool is uh, get into action. And nothing happens without application. Absolutely. You need to apply what you read and what you learn. And so I think a teleseminar is just a brilliant because yeah. it will give people access, you know, from you and I, just showing them the steps, like how do I do this? How do I challenge in my assumption? What are my assumptions? <laughs> you know, they, we, we need these step-by-step in order to apply it. So I think it's brilliant, and I'm so on board. All right. So in the last couple of minutes here, we want people to go to your website, stay tuned in, go to Amazon, and get the book and write a review and let's stay on the path of all the positive and the positive affirmations that we're both doing and the positive work that we're doing and you and I'll certainly be talking offline to see if we can't make these things happen. Our email addresses are both available through our website so we'll invite people to send us messages and let us know what they're thinking as well as go to our social media outlets, which are connectable through our websites. Leslie Strong, thank you so much for a beautiful, strong interview today. I really love the dialogue. Thank you. I am grateful to have you as a friend, and I'm grateful that you are in our world making it a better place. Likewise. Thank you. You're welcome. Friends, this is your host for today's episode of The K-Factor, where K equals kindness and the factors are all the things that lead to it. Remember today, above and beyond everything else, to be really grateful that you are here. Because if you are tuned in and if you're listening, you have so much to be grateful for because you're taking this breath. Pray that you get the next and be really happy when you do. This is psychologist Dr. Deb Carlin here at The K-Factor signing off. Tune in again soon. Have a wonderful, blessed day.